Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayWay.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and I'm so excited. We have Dr. Justin Marcajani. That's how I like to say his last name. Um, But he is the host of Justin Health Podcast, which I'm a huge fan of, and he runs the Justin Health Wellness Clinic and consults patients all over the world via Skype. He does everything. I just talked to him. So you tell us, you said you you kind of live in Austin, you kind of live in Kansas City, but it doesn't matter because you do everything virtually. Yeah, I see everyone virtually. I, I interview lots of guests as well, deal with patients uh, via video and phone as well. We create functional medicine programs. We do lab testing all over the world. So it's pretty nice. We're not really hampered by having to have a brick and mortar model. We're able to get in touch with people any anywhere, anytime. So it's quite, quite rewarding. So I know that you had interned with Dr. Kalish, who was previously on our show, and I'm a huge fan of his as well. Um, so how did you get started in this field? Yeah, so off the back, it's just kind of like an inquiring mind, right? Trying to get to the root underlying cause of why someone has their health ailments and issues to begin with. So I worked in a surgical field to begin with, and I was the person that would hold the diabetic limbs as they'd be amputated. So I, I kind of saw oh that first, first, you know, in depth. And most of the people there really weren't concerned about getting, you know, on top of it, like getting in front of it, meaning like preventative perspective. They just were like, all right, we're going to just, you know, pull out our surgical saws, tie off the arteries (laughs) and and get that dead tissue off there. And I'd be the person that bring it down to the morgue. And I was the person that was really trying to like get in front of it and was like asking questions. Hey, how can we get in front of this? And it's tough because a lot of the diet recommendations and food recommendations, you know, come from our government and they're pretty bad. They're part of the underlying cause, right? We get a lot of poor dietary uh, information over the last 30, 40, 50 years, especially this low fat, low cholesterol thing going on. So I just kept on reaching and inquiring and studying. I like chiropractic because it focused more on a vitalistic approach and um, just just found doctors in that field that were chiropractors that were successful, that had good functional medicine clinics that were helping people and really just glommed on to what they were doing and just learned and became a sponge over the last 10, 15 years, getting the nutrition element dialed in. That's the foundation in which functional Mm -hmm. medicine springboards from diet, lifestyle, good nutrition, and then diving in deeper to our body systems, hormones, gut, detox, nutrients, and being able to put those puzzle pieces together, if you will. Yeah. Now we've received a lot of questions lately about 
um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which has a lot of same symptoms of candida. And so some of the questions we've received is something like, how do I know if I have small intestinal, you know, like SIBO, or do I have candida? How do I know the difference? And that's the thing. I think a lot of people that focus on SIBO, they may or may not have it. And that's the issue. We see patients that have H. pylori infections, that have just general dysbiotic infections, where we don't really know, is it coming from dysbiosis in the small intestine? Is it coming from the stomach? Is it coming from the colon? When you look at the stool, it's all kind of coming out and it's all kind of meshed together, right? So H. pylori could be bacterial overgrowth. It could be SIBO, which is more specific bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine. It could be CFO or a fungal overgrowth. It could be other types of parasitic infections. So I think a lot of people, if you look at the symptoms of SIBO or a parasite or a fungal overgrowth, they're pretty similar. So it's hard to know. So we're really just focused on where those digest or what digestive imbalances we have or what gut imbalances or microbes we have. And we just treat them. And there's a big overlap. A lot of people have a lot of different things going on all at the same time. So I like to ask our guests to walk us through a typical day in your life of like, what did you eat yesterday? Our podcast started out just talking about intermittent fasting and we've just really evolved into just because we feel like intermittent fasting is a portion of that. Is that something you do or what do you typically eat? What does your day look like? Yes, that's a great question. I think looking at people's routines are really important. So today I just started off with a nice organic coffee with about a tablespoon of grass-fed butter in there. I did about 20 grams of collagen, some MCT oil. I'm sipping on a a sugar-free apple cider vinegar drink. So I'll be sipping on that throughout the day. The acetic acid in there is very good at helping to metabolize guanidine. There's some benefits of the acetic acid actually helping to improve fatty acid oxidation and metabolism. Show us that drink again. If you're listening, yeah. if you're listening to our podcast, a lot of times it's great to watch our podcast. On- yeah, exactly. So this is a Bragg's apple cider vinegar one. This is a sugar-free one. They just have a little bit of stevia in there. They have a couple that have sugar though. So you got to look at the back. I like the ginger and the lime because there's just a little bit stevia sweetened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll also be sipping on these guys throughout the day, which are like my Topa Chico mineral waters, really big in Austin. If you're in Texas and you're mm-hmm. looking at this video, you guys know Topa Chico, it's the best. And so wow. that'll be my, my throughout the day. And then in my um, fridge, I have a nice little crock pot meal already ready to go with some organic pasture fed chicken already cooked up with some carrots and some celery. And then obviously lots of broth that I'll be sipping on throughout the day. And then mm. tonight, uh, I, my, my wife made an awesome meal. I don't even know what it is. I think she mentioned to me last night. It's uh, another chicken-based kind of meal. I tend to be lower carbish throughout the week, especially if I'm not exercising a ton. Typically, I have like an office treadmill and I have an office bike that slides under my desk. So I can bike when I'm working. I can be on my treadmill when I'm working. And then I push up bars and kettlebells in the corner. So in between patients, I'll tend to do a push-up, a set of push-ups to failure, I set a kettlebell, so failure, and then I'll walk or bike throughout the day. Mm, That's kind of how I I do it. That's kind of my general routine. So I don't intermittent fast every day, but I will once or twice a week, or I'll just do like kind of more of a protein kind of modified fast where I'll just do higher fats, good fat soluble vitamins, lower protein, and then I'll just sip on good mineral water throughout the day and have a really good protein and fat base lunch and dinner. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Let's jump right into the questions. This is from Kate. This is from Kate in Kansas City. 
Oh, great. <laughs> I've been eating 90% clean and sticking with a six-hour eating window consistently. I haven't been drinking alcohol very much, but I have several Christmas parties in the next couple weeks, and I want to cut loose and not ruin the good results I'm seeing. When I have a couple glasses of wine here or there, I can't believe how puffy it makes me feel almost immediately. What are some better drinks I should order, and what is your opinion on drinking in general when I'm working towards a healthy lifestyle? That's a great question, and I get that all the time from my patients because I deal with a lot of patients that are relatively healthy and some that are really sick. And some patients, they literally can get derailed for weeks on end with eating the wrong food. So we have to kind of distinguish which camp you are in. Are your health issues relatively stable? Are you kind of moving in the right direction regarding your health goals? If we can answer positively on that, then, then we can definitely have a little bit of latitude. So I have an article at justinhealth.com, I think podcast on that, like what to do during the holidays, what to do, like healthy versions of alcohol. So I have lots of more in-depth kind of conversations on that topic, but to keep it brief today, number one is if you know you're going to be splurging, I try to intermittent fast up to that event. If I know it's a nighttime one, I may intermittent fast. I may time an exercise before or after the next morning. And I even may, I may intermittent fast the next morning as well to tap in more to that fat burning, number one. Number two, I may use extra activated charcoal during those types of alcohol, beverages, or meals. I may also use more enzymes and hydrochloric acid to, be, to better break down those foods because if we have a hard time breaking it down, it can just sit in your tummy and kind of be like a, a brick, right? So we better break it down. That's helpful. And then number three, try to choose healthier versions. So if we're going to do like hard alcohol, you know, try to choose like a Tito's vodka that's 8X filtered for gluten, really good clean vodka or a really good clean whiskey. Those tend to be on the cleaner side. If we're choosing a wine, try to make sure it's dry, drier wine. I went out to a restaurant in downtown Kansas City called Eddie V's and we ordered a nice, um, uh, a nice um, bottle of Prosecco from Sean Dunn great winery. It very dry, very dry. I feel really good after that type of a wine beverage, very dry, low alcohol, uh, clean on the pesticide side. So just try to choose drier, lower sugar alcohol versions and ideally organics and be better. So you don't have the pesticide residue. And that's going to be super helpful for just how you feel afterwards. Uh, dry Creek wine says some, I like the Chandon, but a drier, um, Prosecco or champagne is great. Activated charcoal, uh, hard alcohol is great. You can even do like my Dr. J's Moscow Mule. We'll do the the ginger kind of low sugar GT Dave's um, ginger ginger aid, and we'll mix it with a little Tito's vodka, half a lime squeeze on the rocks, and that's phenomenal for a Moscow Mule. You can do the Cape Codder version with the cranberry. Um, kombucha. So those are kind of my go-tos that I do. And I just use activated charcoal, extra enzymes. I time up the, the workout before and after and an intermittent fasting session either before or after as well. Awesome. All right. This is Amy in Texas. You've touched on red light therapy in previous podcasts, and I feel like it's popping up everywhere. My local tanning salon has red light therapy chamber. Another friend of mine ordered a single bulb that she hangs above her face. Do you think there's really something to this, or is this just another one of those fads? I need something for autoimmune issues and psoriasis. Will this help? And what if not, what is best? What is the best thing you've seen for eczema, dermatitis, and psoriasis? It's a great question. So there's one thing out there called the Juve Light that I've heard good things about. Uh, my colleague and podcast um, guest host, Evan Brand, um, bought one of the one of the near infrared or far infrared sauna lights, and he'll have a small little box on his desk and he'll turn that off and on. 
I actually just purchased from my house a sunlight and sauna that has the far infrared and near infrared. And so I kind of do that in the sauna. I'll go down there and I'll get 20 or 30 minutes in. But you can just buy a sauna light. I know Evan had great success with the um, sauna space. He bought one of their lights and just put it on his desk and flips it on and off from time to time. I've heard it's better than the Juve light. But I think there's definitely some health benefits uh, to getting exposed to some of that infrared light. I'm not super up on that. I just know the application seems to be beneficial for some people. And if you have an issue like that, that'd be the first step I would do is get a small sauna light, put it on your desk and give yourself 20 or 30 minutes a day. I think it would be helpful. All right. Perfect. All right. This is from Anonymous. I've been using HCL pepsin every time after I, after I eat. The, I love it, but the only thing is sometimes when I take it, I feel like my thyroid is on overdrive. Is there any medical truth to this or am I dreaming it up? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, what does that mean on overdrive? Do you feel more jittery, more anxious? Now, it's possible that, you know, you're, you're working the, she's working the HCL tolerance up and there could be some warmness or irritation. And we know that the nerves for the stomach are pretty similar to the thyroid. I think if you look at the upper stomach nerves, I think they overlap with the, the thyroid nerves, meaning what nerve roots are on. I think the thyroid's on like C8 through T4-ish. And if you look at where the nerves for the stomach go, I think they may have an overlap there. So it's possible that some of the irritation from the HCL in the stomach could be refluxing to the thyroid. It's very possible. But again, I would work on an HCL tolerance where you start very low, a couple hundred milligrams, make sure it's taken with food, and then work it up gradually and make sure you're making all the right diet and lifestyle changes. And if your gut lining is really sore, really irritated, or you're having those symptoms, I would just go heavier on enzymes to start off, go very, I would do no HCL off the bat. And then maybe start with a little bit of apple cider vinegar or some bitters and then gradually work your way up. But pull it out if it gets better, then you know there's a correlation, put it back in, pull it out. And if you can see it once or twice by turning it on, turning it off, then there's something going on there. You just gotta work on the dosing. All right, this is Rachel in Nevada. I was having some terrible pain in my knee when I worked out, so I went to the doctor and he told me I'm developing arthritis in my right knee and I'm in my low 30s. I always thought arthritis affected older people with an unhealthy lifestyle and was really disappointed to hear this. I don't want to stop working out altogether. What should I do to remain active but also prevent this from worsening? And what is the difference between rheumatoid arthritis and regular arthritis? Great question. So I need a lot more background information. I'm gonna make some assumptions or give some different scenarios. So it kind of helps with, with everyone listening. So number one, rheumatoid arthritis is gonna primarily attack uh, bilaterally. You're gonna see it hit bilaterally. It's an autoimmune condition that's gonna involve attacking the joints. So you typically see it on both sides. Osteoarthritis, a lot of times you're gonna see it unilaterally, meaning on one side over the other, but you could see it bilaterally, meaning both sides. Um, osteo is going to be more of a wear and tear kind of thing. Kind of like you take sandpaper, you know, on, on some wood, eventually over time, it kind of wears. Think about it like that. The difference is our bones and our cartilage and our connective tissue, they're not static. They're not like a piece of wood. Once you shave it off, it's done. It, it grows back. So the question is, how are you doing with the building blocks to help provide the, the, the growing back material? Half your bones are about protein-based. So how are you doing with collagen? How are you doing with healthy fats? How are you doing with healthy proteins? So we really want to up the healthy proteins, really have good quality connective tissue, cartilage, collagen, chondroitin sulfate. Those type of compounds really help provide extra building blocks, vitamin C, 
number one. Number two, is there pain or inflammation? If there is, we want to support and get the natural anti-inflammatories on board. Of course, that's diet. Of course, that may be supplementation from liposome or curcumin, systemic-based enzymes taken away from food, topical CBD oil rubbed in the area can be super anti-inflammatory. It's number two. Number three, what's the actual root cause of the inflammation? Are you over-exercising? If you're doing a lot of marathon running, you got to calm or cut that back. You also may want to get looked at by a really good applied kinesiology chiropractor that can look and make sure the muscles above and below are working appropriately. A lot of people... They, they don't have their glutes or their hips turned on, so their knees end up taking a lot more of the brunt because we don't have the surrounding muscles sucking up or taking up the force distribution. Our natural shock absorbers are turned off. So you got to look at it threefold. Food, supplementation, the actual exercise, make sure that's dialed in. And if you're over-exercising or doing too much marathon training, that may have to, to get cut back. And I would be utilizing more exercise that doesn't have as much compressive forces like a bike or elliptical or rower, that way you can at least give your body the chance to heal in the meantime. Does that make sense? Yeah, very good. And then I would, before I would ever jump to surgery, if we want more therapeuticness above and beyond that, um, adding in the specific electric devices like uh, the ARPWAVE or the, 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 the NuFit has one called the Newbie. These are bioelectric devices that can stimulate healing and blood flow. And then after that, stem cell injection. So before I would jump on surgery, I would do those things first. Hey guys, we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast, but we're also interested in your journey. So if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit, we want to hear about it. Email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayWay.com. Now back to the show. Okay, this is from Anonymous. One of your on one of your podcasts back, your guest mentioned that I should try to be pooping one time every time that I eat. I'm typically eat two times during the day, but I'm lucky to poop one time per day at the absolute most. What are some things I could be doing to get more regular bowel movements? And should I be really concerned with going two times per day? Great question. I even have a prop over my right shoulder actually my left shoulder on the on here because it's mirror imaged i'll pull it over uh-huh. this is called the poopy lineup all right so this is kind of how your stool should look oh hold on let me get the glare away uh okay so this is your poopy policeman this is a six incher okay so ideally you want two of these guys a day so at least 12 inches of stool a day minimum okay so we could have two two of these guys coming in twice a day we could have one extra big guy coming in once a day or we could have three smaller versions coming in at four so ideally about 12 inches of stool we want it to be relatively form we don't want to see the particles in there we don't want to see mushy we don't want it to be a floater we don't want to have uh undigested fat in there um those are the key things so regarding that that's going to be important. Uh, number two, if we're having problems with the regularity, we can use palliative support such as higher dose magnesium citrate or oxide can be helpful. But we'd also want to make sure stomach acid and enzyme levels are adequate. If those are low, that may affect motility. And then the third thing is if it's bacterial overgrowth or fungal overgrowth or infections, that could also be affecting motility as well. So what would you say are your kind of favorite things that you would say like, this really kind of gets things going if, you know, but we don't want to get it too going because we want to have, you know, good stool. We don't want to have like diarrhea. Um, what are some of the, the, you know, different things that you said, this, this really kind of helps me get going. 
Yeah. So I always draw a line, right? Because there's like, there's things that are root cause that are actually fixing the underlying issue. And then there are things that are like more allopathic or palliative that aren't fixing the problem, but they're, but they at least get results in the interim. I like the higher dose magnesium citrate or magnesium oxide that really can help move things. There's other things like Senna or Cascara Sagrada, which can be a little bit mildly irritating. So the higher dose magnesium oxide and titrate can be super helpful. You can even play around with the higher dose vitamin C, but those really help move the stool, in my opinion. Sometimes probiotics or fermented foods can also help too. Mm. All right, this is Tina in South Carolina. I used to get migraines as a teacher, as a teenager, excuse me, a couple yeah. times a year, really bad ones that make me vomit. I didn't have them for over 10 years, but in the past six months, I've had at least six of them. They're so bad that I can't even function or do anything besides lay there. I can't even sleep. I went to the doctor to get them checked out and they can't find anything wrong. What could have caused them to disappear and then come back suddenly? I'm paranoid that something is really wrong and I can't afford to miss out on work or life anymore. Great question. So I just need a lot more intel to be more specific. So this person said they, they were they were gone for a while and just came back and they've been active the last six months. Mm -hmm. So as a functional medicine doctor, I'd be doing a lot more detective work. I'd want to go back in time and really figure out what kind of stressors were going on over the last six months. Did you just come off some birth control pills? Was your stress in your relationship or work? How's sleep? How's diet? I want to really dig into all of those things so I can get the sense of what's happening root cause perspective. Now, in the meantime, I'd want to look at hormones, fluctuations in hormones, especially a rise in ebbs and flows of progesterone, estrogen dominance, progesterone dropping out soon can all be potential causes, adrenal dysfunction, potential causes, lower magnesium levels, potential causes, uh, gut absorption, um, gluten, gluten's a big one, gluten tends to pinch off some of the blood flow that happens up uh, our, our garden hose um, artery, so to speak, on the side of our necks called the carotid. And that can pinch and decrease a lot of the blood flow going up to the frontal cortex. So really diving in deep. So there's palliative things, fever few, magnesium, B6 can be helpful. Looking at blood sugar, making sure we're not going more than five hours or so without eating. Blood sugar flows can be really kind of a big issue. So healthy proteins and fats at every meal. Um, not enough minerals, really. Like people that like, for instance, if I drink too much one night, the next day I'll be more dehydrated. I'll need to really get extra minerals in. So I'll use either good mineral water or good sea salt. So we get those so, extra. So minerals. that mineral water that you love, because I've, I've never heard of it. Um, yeah. what, what kind of minerals are in there? Do they... Yeah, I mean, you're looking at your, your typical, your sodium, your chloride, a little bit of potassium, a little bit of magnesium, a little bit of sulfate. And then there's some Show other good ones. Show us that one more time. Show us that one. Yeah, this is Topo Chico. I like this one because of the, um, the carbonation is really high. And mm -hmm. It really hits the back of the tongue good. But Pellegrino is also pretty good. Voss is also pretty good. I like the glass bottles just so there's no potential contamination. I also have two filters in my house. So I have a whole house system and I have a countertop reverse osmosis that adds minerals back in. And then I'll use the Redmond's mineral salt and I'll pinch a little bit of that in my filtered water. Good. This the minerals is, can be important too. This is Crystal in Augusta. My husband just had a checkup at the doctor and blood work done and he found out that he had high levels of ferritin. This was the first time I've ever even heard of this. I understand it somehow related to iron, but I'm struggling to understand the connection and the difference between iron and ferritin. Is this something he should be concerned with? 
Yeah, great question. So think of iron serum as the gasoline that's in the carburetor ready to, ready to, to be burnt up, right? And then think of ferritin as the gasoline in the gas tank that has not been injected into the engine yet. So ferritin's our stored form of iron. And it's, it's pretty common for guys because they don't menstruate, right? To accumulate more iron, right? Women tend to have that fail-safe mechanism of menstruation to lower the iron. So really simple. We would just give blood a couple times a year or you do some functional testing where you're giving blood for the actual test that will help lower the ferritin. That's pretty common in guys. Not a big deal. Just do a therapeutic phlebotomy and or um, do some couple of tests a few, a few times a year and you'll be good to go. Okay, perfect. Veronica in Buffalo. Lately, my periods have been really, really strong, and I went to the doctor recently and found out that my iron levels are low and my estrogen levels are high. I've tried taking iron supplements, but all they do is make me constipated. How can I address these iron issues without being constipated? Are there any supplements you recommend or foods that I should focus on? I have a blood drive coming up at my work, and I'm really hesitant to give blood until I can get my iron under control. But my friend told me that if you give blood, it encourages your blood to make more and better blood. She's not a doctor, but I didn't know if she's even telling me the right things and making sure I'm taking the right steps. So off the bat, number one, one of the biggest causes of hemorrhagia or excessive menstruation is estrogen dominance. So you really have to work on getting your hormones fixed, okay? And that includes looking at the adrenals. That includes looking at all the dietary, blood sugar, and nutritional and lifestyle stressors that, that go into that, okay? Sleep, diet, nutrition, digestion, adrenals. So all of those really have to be looked at and addressed. Uh, number two is typically going to be like a luteal phase defect, meaning a shorter last half of the cycle. Progesterone tends to fall out early, and it's not dramatic. So like if here's like ovulation to the last day of your cycle, day 27, 28, you bleed right after, right? So progesterone goes up and then it naturally comes down like this beautiful arch here, right? Now what happens in women that have excessive bleeding or hemorrhagia, they, they go up and they just pitter out soon or they pitter out and go like this. And that without having that active rise and fall, we tend to go into this place called estrogen dominance where the relative ratio of estrogen goes higher than progesterone. That can create that issue. Excessive bleeding is really important because that's gonna then lower your iron Without enough iron, you can't attach oxygen to your hemoglobin. So your ability to engage in aerobic metabolism gets decreased. Your mitochondria essentially get mugged, so it's harder to generate energy. So no, you do not want to give blood, number one. Number two, um, there are other better forms of iron. Like in my supplement line, we use one called Iron Supreme. That's a ferrous, uh, ferrous bisglycinate. Some use a gluconate. These are better chelated versions of iron that aren't your typical ferrous sulfate that cause constipation and black stools. We can always go to things like um, a flora vital that's a plant-based iron or even just liver-based iron as well. And we have to fix the underlying issue of why that estrogen dominance is there to begin with. Um, so, you know, what's funny is that I, before I talked to you, I didn't know that you were from Austin or anything in Kansas yeah. City. And we had quite a few questions all of a sudden, like from Austin and Kansas City. That's I'm like, great. I wonder hey, if that's, that's a awesome. coincidence or yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Okay, this yeah. next one's from Judy in Austin, Texas. Cool. I listened, actually, our number, California, you know how you can see on your podcast of where people are listening? Yeah. California, hands down, is the number one state that we have the most listeners. 
but they don't yeah, they don't have the most questions the, they That's what's great. weird is they have the most listeners but the questions come from you know all over Oh, cool. All right, Judy in Austin, Texas. I listened to one of your podcasts, and she was talking about how you need to check your reverse T3 and how that's the most important thing to check. But when I went to my doctor, they didn't even know about reverse T3. Can you explain that one more time and explain why checking reverse T3 if you have thyroid issues is so important? It's a great question again. I love it. The, the listeners are so intelligent. So off the bat, let's just kind of do a thyroid physiology 101. If I don't do that, we won't have the context. Okay. Yes. So we have our brain. This is our TSH. This is a brain hormone that talks to our thyroid to make T4, which is a relative inactive thyroid hormone. So most people, they get their TSH run by their conventional doctor or endocrinologist, and they kind of make this giant leap or assumption that this is kind of this wonderful catch-all marker that really is looking at and assessing their thyroid function. And it's not. It's the volume. It's the, it's the volume that's created by the brain. It's the voice that goes from the brain to the thyroid. And we're just looking at how high the volume is. And it's kind of a reverse marker, meaning high TSH really typically means lower thyroid hormone. So kind of think of it as if you're trying to talk to your kids and they're ignoring you or they got their headset on, you raise the volume to get their attention. So think of your thyroid, your brain, raising the volume to talk to your thyroid. Okay, so we have that done. Now we have T4, which is made from, the, from our TSH. T4 is relatively inactive, about three to 400% more inactive than our active thyroid hormone down here called T3. So we have T4, it gets converted at the thyroid peripheral level, it gets outside of the liver, at the gut, it gets connected you know, by healthy stress hormones. So we have lots of different ways it gets converted on site and outside of site. And part of the way the body decreases or down regulates your metabolism, it takes this T4, instead of going to T3, it takes it during this detour route down here called reverse T3 that's relatively inactive, but it clogs, it hits the receptor sites where T3 would go. So if we have, for instance, if here's our receptor site, and here is T3, imagine something getting in the way of this receptor site. So now when it goes in, it can't, it can't do it. So think of my Topo Chico bottle as reverse T3. It's congesting or blocking the receptor site where that hormone would typically bind. So we have this increase in reverse T3, and that can be caused by adrenal stress. It can be caused by lower selenium levels, glutathione levels. It can also be caused by liver congestion or liver not working properly. So we got to get to the root underlying cause of why that reverse T3 is elevated. Good. Okay, perfect. Did that uh, analogy make sense? Yeah, it did. Okay, good. It was good. All right, Dawn in Virginia. I've always struggled with getting my water in each day, and I heard that I should be drinking half my body weight in ounces of water. Usually I start off my day really slow and find myself chugging towards the end of the day to get it all in. The other day, my trainer told me that chugging water isn't good because my body doesn't absorb the water at, as well that way. He said I should sip on it and even move it around in my mouth. This is the first time I've heard anything like this. He's basically saying that I should chew my water. Is there any truth behind this or is it pointless to be drinking water if I'm chugging it down? <laughs> well, I really think it depends on the context of it. So when I wake up in the morning, I do like two big glasses of water with some added minerals to it every day. So I start my day with like 20 or 30 ounces just right out of the get-go. The, the, the get that kind of gets me a third of the way there, so to speak. 
So I think of, you know, the doctor, Dr. Batmangilich, your body's many cries for waters. That's the general recommendation about half your body weight in ounces. We also want to make sure the water's clean. It has extra minerals in it. A lot of people that can't get quenched, a lot of times it's because they don't have enough minerals in the water they're drinking. It's too filtered or too devoid or processed, and they're not getting the minerals. So one, they don't get quenched. Mm-hmm. Number two, drinking, chugging excessively cold water can definitely create some problems because your body has to then raise the temperature up to about 98, 99 degrees to release it down the intestinal tract. So you can really have a really full stomach because the body has to heat the water up and then it takes more time. So if the water is relatively more closer to room temperature, that can be helpful. I do think if you're drinking your water like this, letting it imprint in your saliva, there's some anecdotal data showing that you're gonna absorb it better and it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna harmonize with your body better just cause your DNA is kind of mixed in with it kind of more. But in general, the more healthier you are, you don't have to worry about it. The more you have digestive issues, and, and stress issues, I would be focusing on that, right? There's kind of that old expression like uh, chew your water and drink your food where chew your food up to a consistency where it's more liquid and then chew your water where you're just letting it imprint. But if you're working out, I'm not so worried about that as much um, to get, if you're getting that water in faster. But throughout the day, I think having a little bit more, um, a decrease in the speed a little bit and how you hydrate may be better. Awesome. So I love your website and it's funny because it's like, so your first name is Justin. So I guess your e- your website is like like it's kind of like Justin Health, yeah. or it's yeah. like Justin Health, right? Like Justin Time, Justin Health. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yes. So you. you've got some different tests on there, and so you know if someone said you know you've got some amazing tests, and I love the fact that you know people come in and they want to ask all these questions, but the real truth is is that until someone does this testing, you know, you really can't really answer their questions as well. So if someone was gonna say, okay, listen, I wanna pick uh, two tests to do, what would you say, like, should they do the stool test? Should they do the H. pylori test, the SIBO test? What would you say, like, this is the first thing I would suggest you do? Yeah, so if you're working with a practitioner, first thing is I would, see your practitioner or connect with me or someone else and get specific recommendations before you try to guess. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. number one. Uh, Number two, if there's any type of digestive issues, I think it's always good to get a really good comprehensive gut analysis to assess infections and inflammation in the gut. Outside of that. On your site, is that your 401H school? Yeah, so there's a couple different tests that I use. I like the GI map. There's a new one. Um, the GI map's a relatively newer one that uses DNA technology. I've used the 41H for over a decade. That's a good kind of more stool antigen test. There's one by um, DRG. That's a decent one as well. So there's a couple tests that I use. The GI map is a really good one. It's, it's my go-to now. Um, but again, it, that's a good one to start off with. But I really, you know, people are listening, really connect with their functional medicine practitioner first so they can get more specifics. Because if they only have a budget for one or two tests, we really want to be super focused on the recommendations so we're not kind of guessing. But that's a good general test to get. Awesome. Well, I love the fact that people can use you from anywhere in the world because we have listeners from from all over. So tell everyone one more time the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah, head over to justinhealth.com. 
J-U-S-T-I-N-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can subscribe to my podcast channel there, uh, my YouTubes. I do live YouTube Q&As every week. I'm going to jump on one here in a few minutes where I talk to a couple thousand people here live on my YouTube channel where we, we do kind of a Q&A thing like this, do lots of in-depth practical topics. And I'm also a clinician. I'm, I'm in the trenches dealing with 50 or 60 different patients a week. So what I'm talking about isn't theoretical. It's theoretical. It's actually practical and I apply it daily. So if you want to dig in or connect with me, feel free and reach there. You can also schedule a virtual consult with me there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having, we just are so grateful to have you on the show. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to chantelrayway.com coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.